0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I'm Julie Douglas and this week co-host Robert Lamb is off pursuing the lengthening of his telomeres. At least that's what I think he's doing. Good luck with that, Robert. In this encore presentation of When Beneath My Surgical Wings, we continue the dream of flight as a means to transcend the limits of our biology. So without any further ado, I hope that you enjoy. Okay, so we've discussed in the past about uh, how we have augmented ourselves before. I I believe there's someone who had... An ear grafted onto his yes. skin, mm-hmm. um, or rather, the, the tissue was grown for
1: it. Yeah, that was in our performance art uh, episode.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, we've had we've talked about people who have taken out ribs before to have like you know twelve inch waist. Um, mm-hmm. We have certainly manipulated and uh, bod- bodily modified ourselves to the extent where it's a little bit shocking. But you get to surgical wings or the idea of it, and is it that shocking?
1: Yeah. That is the question we're going to talk about in the second half. Uh, First of all, I do want to say just a quick thing about plastic surgery Mm -hmm. again. I know when I was growing up and I would hear the term plastic surgery, almost exclusively in reference to people who had new noses, and or new chest augmentations, um, I kind of had it in my mind that it was plastic. Like, it was actual, literally <laughs> plastic. Like, oh, they have a plastic nose. It's like Humpty Hump or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's just, you know, set there right up there on their face. Or that, obviously, breast implants, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of like plastic, I guess. You see them, I would see them in, like, Newsweek magazine that my grandparents had. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's plastic surgery. It's putting plastic in or on the body and making things new.
0: You thought there were water balloons in there?
1: Yeah, I thought there were water balloons. <laughs> but, um... But just for a quick primer, plastic in plastic surgery means plasticity. So essentially what we're talking about is flesh sculpting. And the idea goes back a long time. Uh, for instance, um, skin grafts uh, may have taken place as early as 800 B.C., which is crazy to think about that. Just the, the idea that we were, we were already figuring out ways to sculpt the flesh of the human body uh, even in 800 B.C., See, we just,
0: we have, I mean, humans just can't help but tinker with themselves, right?
1: Yeah. And, and certainly if there's a, if there's a medical advantage, you know, if you're trying to help somebody, you know, improve their quality of life, uh, I mean, that, and, and, or appeal to their vanity. That's all. That's what you need to get to learn more about it and to get the research done to achieve the the already lofty heights of plastic surgery we have today.
0: Yeah, and of course I was about to say, uh, you know, the the technology is commensurate with the procedures. Mm -hmm. So what you have in place is is what is going to determine what happens uh, with your body or how you decide to manipulate it.
1: So as we were discussing earlier, Rosen proposed that yeah, he thinks you could you could give people winks. Now, what would this consist of how would this possibly work because when we're talking about plastic surgery we're talking about sculpting the body so it's most interpretations we're not talking about making some wings and cooking them up in a lab and then just stitching them on the body Mm -hmm. we have to essentially look to nature and see how nature flies right
0: well we have to look at nature but we also have to look at the mind because this is an important part of the process right um We've talked about how the mind also has its own type of plasticity mm-hmm. and can certainly conform um, to whatever's going on with the body. And you've used the the wonderful analogy of the horse and rider before, that yes. it's not, you know, the two things aren't necessarily separate when you're talking about the mind and body.
1: Yeah, it's not the, the mind is the rider and the body is the horse, but it's both are one. They were essentially a centaur uh, instead.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this brain uh, plasticity gives us the ability to make physical changes that are then incorporated by the brain. This is from the Dr. DeDalius article. Rosen explains that when, quote, when we lose a limb, the brain absorbs its map or rewires it to some other center. Similarly, when we gain a limb, the brain almost immediately senses it and goes about hooking it up via neural representation. He said, if I were to attach a sonographically powered arm to your body, your brain would map it. If I were to attach a third thumb, your brain would map this as well. Our bodies change our brains, and our brains are infinitely moldable. If I were to give you wings, you would develop literally a winged brain. If I were to give you an echolocation device, you would develop, in part, a bat brain. Hmm. I mean, there's some truth yeah. to this,
1: right? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's important to to, to think in terms of, of brain mapping and and uh, neural adaptation to these features, because you can talk all day about sewing bits onto your body, but if you if you can't. If they are not actually a part of you, if they are not part of that centaur uh, that is the mind-body connection, then it's really not a part of you or your body.
0: So in a sense, whatever you dream up, your brain can hang with. Yeah. But um, it comes down to a matter of where really the rubber meets the road and and the actual surgical bits that are put onto it. And in order to really look at that, you have to look at um, a professor in plastic and reconstructive surgeon, Samuel Poore. Who took on the idea of surgical wings?
1: Yeah, from the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, and he actually published an article about this idea, about the the actual de- possible details of transforming. Uh, Normal humans into winged humans, and he did this uh, after Rosen had made lots of waves with his discussion. So it's it it was a response to Rosen's mm-hmm. work, uh, where he says, "Okay, well, let's assuming that, that this is something we want to do, and and, uh, and and actually, there's someone out there who wants it. Uh, what would this consist of? How would we go about it as yeah. a thought experiment? Uh, and as a plastic surgeon, uh, what can I do? What could I do to the human body to give that body wings?"
0: And I love this because he really did respond to it, not just in the philosophical sense, but like really what are the nut, nuts and bolts to make this happen if you're going to take this thought experiment one step further? Because Rosen's ideas are amazing and it's great to sort of get caught up in them. But uh, a
1: lot of times he's kind of spitballing, though. Or at least, I mean, maybe not in his own mind. Yeah. But in terms of just how he's commenting to other people he he's not necessarily laying out a you know a, a five step plan to make it happen um but not out outside of his own mind, anyway.
0: Right. Well, he knows all that. You know, he's he's pretty well informed about all the different fields that yeah, it would yeah. take to make this happen. But you're right; he's not going to sit there and say, "Here's step one."
1: Yeah. Though I, though I pretty much have no doubt that he has it in his mind. Absolutely. If he he's he's sat down to the, say,
0: "Like, history. how would you actually yeah. do this?" But that's why I think it's so interesting that Samuel Poor took this on because it does give you a sense of what the limitations are and um, what the possibilities are as well.
1: Yeah. So. In in this article, uh, he asked, "Okay, well, all right, if we're going to have wings, what what are the aspects of a bird wing that we would want?" And in this article, he does deal exclusively with bird wings. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I didn't think that much about bat wings. We'll talk about that a little, a yeah. little more, but, but he's talking about bird wings. So evidently, he, as far as art goes, he is into the idea of of, of an angelic figure with the big, lofty, feathery wings, which is beautiful. I'm I'm totally into that. This is like well.
0: Archangel from uh, from uh, X Men.
1: Yeah, like like uh, like that character from, from X Men, or or any you know painting you've seen of an angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then of course the other side is we have plenty of images of fallen angels, uh, and and their kin, creatures with bat like wings, which some might find hideous, uh, some might find kind of uh, uh, appealing. If uh, the pictures I had on my wall in high school had anything uh, you know to do with that, but um, but, but certainly uh, he decides to focus just on wings with feathers.
0: Sure, and why not? Because I mean this is really the the example from nature that we draw from the most.
1: yeah, so what does a bird wing have? first of all, it has those feathers for lift and insulation. it has a highly derived shoulder and a distinct thorax, okay mm-hmm. So what else do we have to take into into account here? then we have to we have to look at the human body. What do we have? Well, we have these arms, right mm-hmm and and you look at a bird what is it does a bird have arms no a bird has wings so obviously we're getting to, getting to the point here where we have to realize if you're going to use plastic surgery to make what we have into something similar to what birds have it's not going to be a matter of strapping wings on on the back and turning us into six-limbed creatures mm-hmm. we're going to remain four-limbed creatures but we're going to have to transform our arms into wings which is something you don't see as often in our fantastic visions of winged humans, Right, we tend to imagine that we still get to keep our arms and that we just have wings <laughs> springing out of our backs. But uh, the, the plastic surgeons of the world are here to say, actually, guys, if you really want those wings, you're going to have to part with the arms.
0: Yeah. And you're not going to be a big, fluffy, white feather. It's just probably going to be more like a turkey vulture. Yes, well, well, I say that, but uh, Professor uh, Samuel Poor does say that in order for us to really get the right structure, we can't necessarily look at modern birds as the example. Um, we would be better off to look at something called the Archaeopteryx, and this is a bird that existed one hundred and fifty million years ago.
1: Yeah, because the Archaeopteryx has a very primitive wing structure. It's mm-hmm. a very early model, okay? Versus birds, modern birds, which have a very high, a very highly evolved, very advanced model of the, of the wing. So if you're going to, using the plastic surgery techniques that we have today, if you were going to transform our arms into wings, Mm -hmm. you really want to fit with, go after something a lot simpler, because that's going to be something that we can actually achieve, potentially arguably, uh, as opposed to a really ad- advanced structure. It's kind of like if you're adding on to your house, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to take into account the existing architecture, the existing structure. What is going to work structurally as a part of the new house? What is going to work stylistically as part of the new house? And, uh, if you know, it's just not always in the cards to take, say, a, a medieval castle and then build a highly modern structure on top of it. I mean, it's just you have to take into account the original form. So our arms... Are great arms, but they're really crappy wings, like the crappiest wing possible because they they, they don't do anything, you know. So to to actually change them into wings, we're mm-hmm. essentially having to backtrack on evolution and go think back to how wings really begin to evolve and and take form in organisms.
0: Which makes sense, right? Because you do, as you say, have to go back to the more primitive version if you're trying to make this you know from soup to nuts on yeah. a human being it's a little bit ironic though that you'd have to go back 150 million years in order to uh, get some sort of futuristic um, structure for human wings yeah
1: because the the archaeopteryx uh, it had it was it was feathered it was flying but it had a far less complex wrist and shoulder mm-hmm. which is key because this is what really places it within surgical reach for us okay so in this article poor lays out some possible steps to transform the arm into a wing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He talks about forming a distal row of carpal bones and metacarpals uh, in our existing arm into a carpometacarpus, which is essentially a buffalo wing. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a single fused bone between the wrist and knuckle. So if you look, if you look at, a, at a picture of a human arm mm-hmm. and, you, and you see a picture of... The, um, of the, the wing of a, of a bird, or, or in this case, a, a flying dinosaur, then you see that. All right, we have uh, uh, the humerus, uh, the upper bone in the arm. Mm-hmm. Both have that. Uh, but then, when you're looking at uh, at the lower uh, portion of the arm, the lower bones, that's where you're talking about needing to fuse things together. Because uh, do you ever see a bird using like a, a, a smartphone or typing on a keyboard? No, they don't need the digits.
0: Right, and the wrist and knuckles all being one piece makes sense, too, right? right? Because they're not sort of waving their hands back and forth. Um, you'd also have to fuse the small finger, the ring finger, and the index finger, although your thumb would remain free. Yes. So that's good news.
1: Yeah, so some video games are still possible. <laughs> the hand and elbow uh, would have to be fixed uh, to prevent uh, too broad a range of movement. But, uh, but there's not, not any need for bone, f- bony fixation in the elbow. You need movement. Um, so, uh, you make use of existing muscle and skin there. You redirect the bicep and tendon of, uh, in- of insertion. Uh, you use tissue expansion techniques to cover all of this because you, you need skin over. Skin, over yeah, this.
0: right. And then for non-functional cosmetic wings, this is, this is a really good stopping point, right? Yes. Because this is what you need in order just to support them around town right
1: yeah and we're not even talking about the possibility of of sticking feathers in these things uh that would be a whole separate thing to worry about because what are you going to try and grow feathers are you going to try to manipulate the body to produce feathers um that's a whole um, kettle of fish in and of itself but just to transform your fleshy arms into fleshy bat wings mm-hmm. that you could parade around town in, yeah this is where you would you would stop
0: and we know we can grow tissue right so in order to actually grow the skin that's not a problem right Right. um you know of course we're talking about pretty advanced technologies here so i don't really see you know 2020 just going into your local clinic and and getting your your uh wings all done up but again in this idea of 20 to 50 years out let's say you can get these wings um constructed for you and you really want to take flight
1: Well, you're going to need to flap them. You're going to need to flap those wings uh, in order to even try to fly. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do that, you're going to need high-velocity rotation in the shoulder. So you're going to need some pretty extensive shoulder reconstruction to make that possible.
0: Mm -hmm. And, of course, you are going to need feathers. Now, this is particularly problematic because feathers are so specific to the species, the subspecies. It's um, something that has evolved for you know billions of years and... It's not an easy thing to just say, oh, here, let's stick some turkey feathers in and you'll be fine. Yeah,
1: feathers are, are a very complex and really amazing um, adaptation of uh, f- flying organisms. Now, some critics of Poor's article, and I don't want to say critics, let's just say people having a lively discussion with him about this, they point out, well, bats don't have feathers, so why should we feel limited to, on, on the, this whole feather argument. Why would that be a sticking point?
0: Yeah, we can talk more about bats, but for sure, this, would, this is a good model to go after. I think yeah. it's not just birds, because I really actually feel like bats have more potential in this arena. Yeah. And it would be so cool to wrap yourself up in bat wings and hang upside down.
1: Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more about surgical wings.
0: All right, and we're back.
1: So I can, I'm kind of already imagining uh, like super rich individuals in the future uh, surrounding themselves with uh, beautiful men and women that they have uh, they have had surgically adapted into uh, winged creatures. So they're just kind of like they're not flying, but they're just walking around the dinner party like with well they couldn't really hold a tray of drinks. I don't know what they're doing. I guess they're just walking around looking pretty and birdlike. Well,
0: see, why not keep your own arms and then just do a separate wing structure too?
1: Yeah, well, that would just this that would be even that would be higher hanging fruit for
0: sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to the flight issue because, uh, it's not just the feathers and the ability to, to actually figure out in your dermis, how to grow the feathers that you need or to genetically game your body into doing it. Um, it's also the wing loading ratio. Uh, we would need really, really large wings to support say a 170 pound body.
1: Yeah. And, you know- I mean look at the size of of flying animals and the size of their wings. Look at the albatross. The albatross is a pretty large mm-hmm. creature and it, and uh, and kind of a clumsy uh bird as well. You know, its flight is not the most graceful thing for this this creature. So its wing but its wings have to be pretty big. And so yeah, you know, when you're looking at the at the wing ratio uh, in an organism, and you're looking at the possibility of creating wings on a human mm-hmm. from that human's existing flesh, sculpting their existing body into this. Because again, you have a lump of clay, and you're going to sculpt that lump of clay into a vase. That vase better have equivalent mass to that lump of clay. That's mm-hmm. just the basic uh, limits of, of what you're working with. So, if you're going to try and build wings big enough for the human for a human to fly. There's not enough material to go around. I don't care how much, like, butt flesh and extra bones you have. <laughs> you're not going to build proper flyable wings.
0: Now, poor did say that for a 170-pound body, you would need about 20 feet of wingspan, yeah. which, you know, then becomes sort of impractical, especially if you're taking mass transit. Yeah. And can you imagine trying to get on Marta with those? I mean, I um, guess you could
1: get, like, donor flesh. That would be about the only way you could really start looking at that. But then you're having to, like, scrap. I You could get, you know, flesh from a corpse, I guess. And, and use that in the process I mean, i'm you know it's not impossible, but it's there certainly something to think about you that you just you can't completely just reshape the existing form into the flying form there are a lot of other considerations to make
0: the blog human enhancement and biopolitics takes on some of these issues and in that blog they're talking about uh, the the larger problem which is muscle because birds bats and pterosaurs have really large pec muscles and they're so large that they actually take up about 30 to 35 percent of their body mass so that would mean that humans would then Have to grow these bionic PEC muscles that somehow were, you know, maybe nanomaterials were used somehow lighter than actual muscles in order to really power yourself. Um, So again, that's an issue of actually trying to take flight because we're pretty undeveloped, underdeveloped in our chest areas, right? uh, Because obviously we don't fly and we don't need those those muscles.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get into a situation where the 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 classic idea. Of just of, uh, sort of the the art idea of uh, of you know angels with wings on their backs that kind of thing mm-hmm. it's it's just more complicated than that you can't just you can't just add something of another species to this animal and expect it to and expect it to be a seamless transition there are a lot of complex questions that come with that well if you're gonna have those wings again you're gonna need the pecs to power them where are you gonna put those. Um, because if you're if you're doing the model where the wings are on the back then where are the muscles (laughs) supporting the wings right Uh, I mean it's it's sort of like in that article that we uh, discussed in the centaur episode where uh, you had a German surgeon who was looking at the at at the centaur as a mythological creature and saying Mm -hmm. how would that actually work and when you get down into the the theoretic bio- theoretical biology of that, uh, there are all these different complications you wouldn't even possibly think of. Of course, the thing there.
0: I remember was, where do you put the penis? Right. In front, the the front I mean, of the back. I mean, you know, in some ways, it's the same thing with wings, although obviously there's no penis, but you have some of the same engineering problems. Um, of course, poor did say that in microgravity, zero gravity, um, it could be helpful to have wings. Which, yeah, situations- which brings us
1: back to the werewolf principle and the yeah. idea that should can and can we adapt the human body to To make it better suited to life on, say, a long space flight to somewhere, uh, to life in orbit, to life on another world, uh, if it if if one ended up making the argument that yes, small wings would be highly effective in navigating this environment, then maybe that's something we have to consider.
0: Well, and again, go back to bats, right? Yeah, because as we've discussed before in our podcasts uh, or episodes about bats. They are governed, their their wing structure, by a rogue finger gene. So if you look at the structure of a bat wing, mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's just a modified mammalian arm. And it's got these, th- why well, you should call them fingers, I don't actually call them fingers. But if you think about their wings as sort of these fingers, like on the spokes of an umbrella, that's how they get the structure. Yeah. So why not tinker with our own genetics to game our um, you know, genes in the arm bud? That begin to produce the, the sort of hand that we have and have it spread out. And you can take flight much easier because as we know with bats, they get their, um, their lift mm-hmm. by uh, basically free falling yes. from an upside down position. And then catching the wind with her wings.
1: Yeah, not every flying creature obviously is a hummingbird, capable of just amazing, right. quick, uh, spirited flight. You know, they can go from zero to a, to a hundred, can take off uh, vertically without any any problems. I mean, some of these larger animals they have to fall off of something to achieve flight.
0: Yeah, plus it would be kind of cool to take flight that way. I think. Yeah. Just free fall upside down. Um, of course, now Poor in his uh, his paper did say, look. This is just sort of not, well, he didn't say, hey, look, this is just an idea. But he did conclude by saying, despite advances in surgical techniques that could theoretically lead to the ability to construct wings from arms, it is evident that humans should remain human staying on the ground, pondering and studying the intricacies of flight while letting birds be birds and angels be angels
1: he He had me till the and and let angels be angels that then he was just really cross <laughs> no i obviously Rosen would strongly disagree with this man's uh he would probably see um see poor as as someone with a limited um limited vision for humanity whereas poor is is certainly staying more on the cautious realism uh side of the
0: well, issue. poor also doesn't really address uh genetic tinkering as well. he's just yeah. sort of saying what what do we do right now with the materials that we have? Um, so some of the, some of his discussion is limited by that. But, uh, there is this idea that is in the article uh, Dr. Dedalius, um, and it is, uh, an idea put forth by Mary Douglas. She wrote in her anthropological study, Purity in Danger, that human beings have a natural aversion to crossing categories. And that when we do, we transgress, or when we do transgress it, we see it as deeply dirty. Yeah. So that there's idea, this idea of like, well, this is, not human it's separate from us there's a danger in it
1: yeah which i think it comes back to the wing thing or even the centaur thing it's one thing to have like oh the top is a is a topless lady and the bottom is a fish like that doesn't is maybe okay at least to a certain extent because there's this firm line. There's a distinction between the part that is animal and the part that is human. And when you get into, you know, we've talked before about monsters. The idea of any kind of a monster is that it embodies an idea, mm-hmm. especially the any kind of monster that is half human, half beast. It's ultimately about the competing higher and lower natures of our being, the part of us that thinks that we're above an, being an animal, and the part of us that is inevitably an animal. And we, but we like seeing that division, even in our monstrous uh, imagined creations. But when there is crossover, more crossover than we anticipated, that's where the get in that polluted area. When you get into models of a centaur that has a penis in the front uh, and or in the back, when you get into examples of, oh, this person has wings, but it also means they have to have grotesque pectoral muscles to power it, then the line becomes smudged and uh, and we begin to go, ugh, a little.
0: I was thinking about this in the context of biogerontology and, and, mm-hmm. and our bearded friend, Aubrey de Grey, and and his quest to uh, tinker with people at, uh, at a cellular level in order to have them live upwards to 500 years, 1,000 years old. And I was thinking, well, how does that, how does all of this sort of jibe with posthumanism? Because... Surely that will be the thing to do when you reach 200 years old like mm-hmm. you just get bored and you say why don't I go ahead and get those surgical wings I've always wanted. You know <laughs> what is what does that world look like um you know do we have this possibility of of uh you know very elderly people zooming around with their new wings with sort of angel faces faces to match.
1: Yeah. When I mean, you just ultimately you you know talking about completely just casting aside any expectations about what a human is or should be on a physical level, and then to, to draw from Rosen's uh, um, idea of plastic surgery, uh, it also means that the, there are no constraints on the soul on who you are.
0: Hey guys, that concludes our musings on transhumanism by way of bird and bat wings. If you want more of this kind of, uh, futurist fare as well as other offerings, you can find it on stufftoblowyourmind.com and MindStuff Show on YouTube. You can also join us round the social media fire on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. So here's my question to you guys. Do you have a topic you feel really strongly about? One that you'd like us to cover and, uh, and to really delve into? Let us know at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.